Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. Hey, I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are overwhelmed by, you know, all the newcomers coming good at their new clubs. It's a state of affairs that has us rushing toward the familiar, the tried and true, that which we know is the very best. And by that, I mean the familiar voice. That is Marie Schulte Bauckham. How have you been? Good tidings in the new year, Marie. Good tidings, Matt, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. I've been very well. I have missed the Bundesliga an awful lot, but I've used the snow and the cold in Munich for some skiing in the Alps and can't wait to talk about this first match day of the Rückrunde with you. Nice one, nice one. Skiing in the Alps, that's, uh, you know, I certainly have the snow for that uh, around me here in in, in Wisconsin. (laughs) If, If we only had the hills, maybe we could... Do some skiing on them. Anyway, this week on Talking Foosball, we've got uh, all those, you know, newcomers making big impacts at their new clubs. We've got all the teams who got off the mark nicely in the Rückrunde. We've got uh, also the teams that did not do so well, as well as some more news and, and transfers and controversies brewing, you know, all in sundry here on Talking Foosball. So here's part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part of the podcast where we go over the best of the uh, match day that has just gone. This was match day 18. That means it was the first match day back from the Winterpause, you know, German football's traditional, you know, period for alpine skiing. <laughs> I guess if that uh, fits fits under your contractual obligations, uh, you know, insurance reasons, all that, uh, I guess if you're not playing anymore or, or, or not playing much in the case of, you know, certain guys. You can probably fit that into your schedule, but um, others, maybe not. We'll hear a bit more about that later in the podcast. I understand if uh, a story that I heard from Marie before the uh, broadcast makes its way into the podcast before we finish recording. Anyway, the place where I really want to start is with all of the strikingly good winter transfers that we have seen in in, in the the winter break in the Bundesliga. And by that, I do mean strikers. I mean attackers. I mean goal scorers. I mean guys who get the job done up front. It would be very hard to look past the bold-faced name among the strikingly good winter transfers. That would be one Erling Haaland coming in from Red Bull Salzburg to Borussia Dortmund. He of the 25-minute hat trick on his debut. Yeah, but there's a couple of other guys I think are worth talking about. First of all, I wanted to get your thoughts on just how storybook this debut for for Erling Haaland was for for Dortmund. I know it isn't for your favorite team, but this is a great, great storyline for the Bundesliga. Yes, I think we should all be very pleased that he's come to our league and what an asset. You know, he's that even his physique and, you know, he's he's got those comic figure looks uh, that like, cheeky smile of like a Norwegian kind of superhero or whatever. And I think he's going to be a great, great asset for the Bundesliga, also in an international context. And it's hard not to use superlatives when you talk about his performance. But I will say one thing, and that's just his body language. So there was this one scene, I think, in front, just before his second goal, if I'm correct, where he made a sprint and just be, like during or while he made the sprint, he kind of waved his arms up, you know, from the bottom up to to get the support of the away fans, the Dortmund fans, then sprinted and scored a goal. 
and it just looks so easy. <laughs> like everything he does is just so effortless. It's kind of like he's just thinking, looking around himself and thinking, oh, why can't everyone else do this too? And, you know, it does make a difference. No disrespect to RB Salzburg or FC Salzburg as they're known internationally. Um, but it does make a difference when you've got Marco Royce and Jaden Sancho and Torgan Azar behind you setting you up for goals. And none of the goals that he scored, I thought, were particularly hard goals, but he just has this gift of standing in the right spot at the right time, getting away from defenders and just getting the shot, you know, getting it done. And it doesn't look like hard work. So really a stellar signing for Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. I I was really impressed not only with the performance, but as you said, the attitude uh, on the pitch and off of it. I mean... The way that he responded after the game to, to the, the sort of <laughs> bewildered appreciation of, of the interviewer after the game, it, asking him how, how he had done. He said, you know, the other guys, they made it easy for me. Uh, I'm the guy who's here to score the goals. And that I, I, I did my job in that respect. Like, there's something about the way he's handling all of this hullabaloo that has surrounded him over the last several months, which is just really, really impressive. He's probably been the most hyped guy since, you know, of this particular season anyway. I mean, we had people freaking out about Jaden Sancho and Joao Felix, you know, last season. And he's he's the new flavor of the month across Europe. And he seems to just feel zero <laughs> pressure about it. I mean, there's something really great about the way that he scored these goals. As you said, they were not super impressive goals, but the lack of any sort of self-consciousness or hesitation in all of those chances that he took, I mean, he always pulled the trigger just a hair earlier than you thought he would and did not sort of, you know, look up and consider, oh, well, what about this defender? What about the goalkeeper? He just he knew from when he got the ball what he was going to do with it and he did it and he you know took his shot and put it in it was it was it's something that that, that is seems really easy and simple but so few people do it well it's it's really a joy to see a guy that young be able to put it all together indeed yeah i also heard that michael zorg dortmund's sporting director you know kind of put his arm around him in front of some journalists and you know congratulated him and Erling Haaland, he was so nonplussed he was he basically just said well, this is exactly what you signed me to do. I just did my job. <laughs> and everyone was like, okay, sure. If you keep doing that, then, you know, Dortmund is really going to profit from that. Um, so I thought that was quite a nice quote to, again, underline how casual he is with all this spectacle that is going on around him. Yeah, yeah. I think somehow uh, your mention of profit definitely is going to come into play probably about eighteen months from now for Dortmund. But um, let's 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 enjoy him for a little while longer before we get too deep into those conversations. Other guys who had big big debuts for their new clubs. I wanted to give a brief shout out to Mark Oot, uh, a player who really never made the grade during his, his time at Schalke, or at least was not able to find any kind of consistent form there after having a really good time at Hoffenheim and earning himself that move. He went back to Cologne, the, the, the club that he played with uh, as a youth player, and um, you know had a really nice debut setting up a goal and, and looking very lively and, and involved in that team in, in a big win for Cologne. But also, you know, on the other side of the equation for Schalke, they had a, a big, big performance from a newcomer. What, what did you think about old Michael? I was very surprised, very pleasantly surprised. 
in particular about how well he combined with Benito Raman. Yep. Grigorich, Raman, he's, this is going to be a dynamic yeah, duo. Very much a dynamic duo. Actually, one of my colleagues, shout out to Dominic Rosing of Focus Online, wrote his piece, his Nachbericht, so his his story about the game. So he was in the stadium um, auf Schalke, so he wrote it on this new duo because it's something I wouldn't necessarily have expected, especially in the absence of Amin Arit, who Schalke is so reliant upon for creativity and setting up goals is that these two guys to, you know, on, on pro, you know, just if you put them on a sheet of paper, have quite similar attributes and are of similar stature. And still they really just very much complemented each other and drew defenders away from each other. Raman was incredible of his sprints. He just, from the beginning, looked so determined. I thought he had a really strong game. And Gregorich, he just... It was a little bit the, I mean, no disrespect to Guido Burgstaller, but it's exact opposite. You know, he just does not mess around in front of goal. He just gets it in the back of the net and that's what Schalke signed him for. So I think um, it's, you know, it's only been 90 minutes of Michael Gregoric at Schalke, but he's already doing very well. Yeah, big time, big time. I, I think that it's amazing what you can do with players who bring a lot of running and energy to the table and also <laughs> more than a, a pinch of, of finishing ability, which is something that, you know, you, you Schalke fans had always gotten a bit upset about um, <laughs> the other Austrian in this, in this side. It's, it's a really big upgrade. And we should definitely talk about that in the context of, of Schalke when we get to them in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Any other newcomers catch your eye? I mean, there was, uh, you know, Various players who, who who made moves over the winter break. I guess one on on Hoffenheim was one you were thinking about um, bringing to our attention. Sure, yeah. So I have two players on my mind, and they're both more eye-catching in terms of their potential to improve the teams that they joined rather than their performance on this match day. And the first would be Munas Tabua, the Israeli striker who first got onto everyone's attention span a few years ago at RB, uh, RB Salzburg in Austria, where he was the league's leading scorer, you know, long before LA Haaland came along. And um, he's a very classic number nine, very dynamic, strong in the air, fast, a good finisher. And he earned a move to Sevilla, FC Sevilla, in the summer. That didn't work out for him. And this winter, he became... Hoffenheim's record signing for a fee of 12 million euros. And I think he's come as the long-term replacement for Joe Linton. So I'm really interested to see how he'll get along. He did come on at halftime against Frankfurt, had a very promising showing. So I'm interested in him. And the other player I thought of is Yunus Mali, right. who has joined FC Union Berlin. And I'm very interested to see what he will add because he is a very technical player, um, has a good vision of the game, very smart player, and doesn't at first glance fit the specific skill set. <laughs> I was just thinking that those those <laughs> skills don't really play into Union's game very much. So I, I hope he'll, you know, enhance that rather than just looking lost <laughs> among all these like big physical runners um that we know from union who who like who never shy away from any tackle um but i thought that um really was quite an impressive signing for union to make um such a good consistently decent bundesliga player yeah for sure for sure and i i think there's no reason why they couldn't find a way to integrate a player like that in their team i mean 
if they are going to predicate their game on a lot of um, tough defending and, and counterattacking, which is a lot of the time what they're trying to do, having a, a good two-way midfielder who can spray some good diagonal balls onto runners, that's that's something that he has done in the past as well as uh, play in, in somewhat more advanced places. I, I've, I wish him well. I, he's a player who's, who's, who's done some really nice things in the past that I felt like was getting marooned in Wolfsburg and um, – you know, even if he has to go to a team that has a bit of a lower ceiling uh, to get to the next spot in his career, I, I really, I really hope that works out well for him. Speaking of Union Berlin, I think we should probably start talking a little bit about the teams toward the top of the table and what happened to them on match day 18. I mean, there was plenty of intrigue about, um, you know, this sort of four or five, six way race for Europe, race for the title, and and who was going to sort of wake up from the winter slumber the best. RB Leipzig pretty much hit the ground running on this match day 18. They won in precisely the same way that they did to close out the Hinrunde. They scored three goals again, which is, what is this, the seventh or eighth time in a row that they've done that. They fell behind early to a lightweight team, made their home fans wait and wait and wait. And then finally, in the last half hour, they lowered the boom and just blew Union off the pitch. Uh, the usual suspects were on target. It was uh, Timo Werner with goals number 19 and 20 on the season. Marcel Zabitzer got a real scrappy one to, to get, make it three. You know, as I said, this was a pretty typical uh, performance from RB in recent weeks. I didn't, for one, doubt for a moment, once again, that that they were going to get this done and get past Union, even when they were heading into, you know, the, the 55th, 56th, 57th minute without scoring. I was just feeling like this is too much for, for Union to hang on to. How about you? Yes, and I, yeah, I actually think Timo Werner, after having had such a fantastic first half of the season, is still found more grains of motivation. And it has something to do in my mind with an interview that Bayern sporting director Hassan Salihamidzic gave to Sportbild in Germany this week, where he basically said that Timo Werner would not have succeeded at Bayern and then went on to give reasons why Timo Werner would not have succeeded at Bayern. And when Timo Werner scored on the weekend and he you know, he put his his hands near his ears and kind of looked mad and was like, you know, what you're going to say about me in his chair? I think he was addressing everyone at Sebener Straße in Bavaria, Munich. Um, and he did that very emphatically. So good on him. He's really giving Lewandowski a run for his money this season. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm super psyched about this uh, the turn that this has taken. That sort of Timo Werner versus uh, Robert Lewandowski for the uh, as as uh, you know Germans call it the Torjäger Kanone, the uh, you know top scorer of the season title. We haven't really seen a almost like toe to toe race like this between players with big reputations on big teams since Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was 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 getting around for Dortmund and, and sort of lining up head-to-head -head against Robert Lewandowski. I'm really excited to see uh, another, what, 16 games uh, to, between these two guys to see if they can get past each other, maybe even get to 40. This 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 could be a great, great 
goal-scoring race season. Definitely. An interesting sideline to this game that uh, Leipzig put together uh, and a pretty comprehensive win over a team that uh, most folks expected they should be. This was the first game in six years since uh, Diego Demma was not at the club. He joined Leipzig back in 2014, back when they were in the Dritte Bundesliga. Really nice for him to get a move to Napoli, get to play for his boyhood idol, Gennaro Gattuso. But Looking at this from the Leipzig side, how much of, of a hole do you think he's leaving? He's not exactly a glamour player, but is is this basically a, a moment for Tyler Adams? It, it, it's your time, son. <laughs> if if, if Dem is not here anymore, it's it's your time to, to make this work. Yes and no. I think Diego Demme, maybe because he joined Leipzig precisely at that time early in Leipzig's history, to be blunt, he, he, he was a pit bull, right? He was that scrappy player. He, he was technically decent, but he really was the guy that got the ball from the opposite striker any means necessary and probably someone that opposite sides of strikers had nightmares about. And Tyler Adams, to me, is a more elegant number six. He's also very much a number six, but more a, a game player, a game maker, similar in the similar mold of Thiago to just heave some some praise on him there. So I don't think he's an exact uh, replacement, but who's to say that he needs to be, right? This is Nagelsmann we're talking about. I'm sure he has a plan. I actually think Conrad Leimer comes a little bit closer in terms of skill set because he's that guy that always runs. You know, he covers the most mileage in a lot of the games, and he he does have some of those hardworking attributes of someone like Diego Demmer. Yep. Yep. I, I totally agree. I think that as much as Diego Demme has been a pivotal player for RB over the last six years, it was probably time for him to move on. And, and truthfully, this was probably a bigger move than I ever expected a, a player like Diego Demme to get uh, or, or move to a bigger club, a club with, with a bigger reputation and bigger you know, ambitions than I, I, I feel like a Diego Demme uh, is on. So I hope he does well down there. I, I think is as long as, as Gattuso is around, he'll probably get a chance because Gattuso probably sees a bit of himself <laughs> in uh, Diego Demme. But uh, I, I'm not sure that, that that's going to be uh, the move that catapults him into the stratosphere. And I think, as you said, Tyler Adams is, is a player with just a lot more going for him than Diego Demme. And I think that uh, he will grow into an even bigger player for this for this club uh, than Demma did. Before we leave Leipzig behind, just a quick a quick look in at some of the headline-making stuff this week. And, and by headline-making, I mean sort of, you know, junk headline, like transfer rumor headlines. But it, it might be worth addressing for a moment. Because you did say that you felt uh, Timo Werner was, in, in a way, motivated by some of the, the, the sort of the, the move that didn't come off. Uh, for him at Bayern Munich, the move that he expected he would make and then was sort of uh, taken away from him, as it were, and the one that Bayern keeps seeming seeming to want to needle him about, which may or may not be a, a smart move on their part. There's definitely a new sense gathering around Timo Werner that he might be eyeing up a move to the Premier League over the summer or in, in the somewhat more distant future, Liverpool being the the big one. Is this a guy that just, <laughs> we're always going to be talking about potential Timo Werner transfers? Or is there ever going to be a moment where we just talk about how good he is at the club he is at? No. And I think that's because, <laughs> to, to me, I mean, I mean this as a very, very high compliment to RB Leipzig, but to me, 
this is a just not primary European club team. This is to me a second tier, you know, in a category with the Atletico Madrid's of this world. Yeah. And if if you have that type of quality, yes, it's great. You know, Antoine Griezmann, it's great being the superstar in a in a club that can challenge for titles. But at some point, you're gonna want a Lionel Messi or a Sadio Mane on your side, and you're gonna want to you know be coached by a Jurgen Klopp, and you're gonna want to play against Manchester United rather than Paderborn. So I think I think he will leave at some point, but I also I want to say kudos to him because I don't think he's that, I don't think it's a character flaw at all. You know, he extended at Leipzig at a time where he could have easily gone elsewhere. There were other clubs interested besides Bayern in the summer. And he really, I think, treasured the trust of the club. He was curious about Nagelsmann and how that would work out. And clearly that worked out very well for him. And I honestly, like for a long time, I thought he would fit perfectly at Liverpool. So I would be very interested to see see how that works. I'm I'm really curious about where the summer will take him. Yep, yep, I agree that I think that um, much as it pains me and much as it bores me to read <laughs> transfer rumors about Timo Werner uh, <laughs> every week of 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 every season, I agree that he is a player who's just good enough to where he sooner or later is going to end up at one of those sort of terminal clubs, a club that is basically a perennial challenger for the champions league. <laughs> and there's not very many of those. Bayern is the only one in, in Germany and, you know, Liverpool is one Real Madrid. I could see as a destination for him, for all the, 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 the appreciation that club has for really pure finishers and that this tradition of pure finishers at that club, I, I could see that club going in for him, but yeah, his future his future long-term is not at RB Leipzig. Maybe uh, he can lead them to a, a title or two before he leaves, but yeah, it's it's not going to be a, a long, long stay there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some other games uh, affecting things at the top of the table. The rest of the chasing pack, uh, you know, going after Leipzig were very, very pleased with how things were going at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin for the first 60 minutes or so as as Hertha's compact defending and lightning fast attacking kept Bayern Munich off of the scoreboard and, and basically starved them of big chances. You know, the project manager, Jürgen Klinsmann, his plan was coming together. The new boy, Santiago Ascasibar, was pitched in. He was pitching in as a, as a midfield terrier. He, the quickness of Jordan Tarunariga getting his first start for Hertha in months was key in keeping Bayern's forward line quiet. But I did say 60 minutes uh, a, a moment ago and, and of course a soccer game lasts 90 minutes and the last 30 minutes were absolutely all Bayern Munich Thomas Müller scored a goal to open things up Lewandowski added a penalty Thiago Ivan Perisic they rubbed salt in the wound and now you know Hertha are two points above the relegation playoff spot Bayern maintaining that four point deficit to uh, Leipzig this was a game that filled me with a lot of hope for uh, about, as I said, 60 minutes and basically turned into an embarrassing collapse by the end. Let's back off of the hair to part for just a moment while I sort of collect myself. <laughs> Thomas Müller, he's, his renaissance this season totally continued in this game. He was hugely influential getting that first goal and sort of, you know, basically putting himself in the mix uh, up front for them all game long. But 
I actually want to talk about how good Thiago and uh, Ivan Perisic were in this game. These are two guys who I, I, I'm not going to say they've been poor this season, but they really haven't been at the middle of, of most of the good things for Bayern this season. But this was, this was a great, great game from both of those guys. I mean, Perisic, you know, not only got a goal, but he set up that goal for 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 Thomas Müller. Thomas Müller was being sworn by his teammates as he you know put them in front, and all he was trying to do was get them off of him so he could point at Perisic and get to Perisic for for knocking down that header. Um, what do you make of of a team who sort of struggles to get past a, a fairly solid defense, but has the patience to sort of you know? just explode in the last half hour of the game and, and, and make it look easy. Yes, this was a Bayern Munich masterclass. They were clinical and this is what really sets them apart and has set them apart in the past few years. Something we saw very much last winter when Dortmund faltered and got nervy around the 70th minute and messed things up and conceded bad goals. And Bayern just does not do that. They do that very rarely. And when they do, you have Kimmich screaming and Uli Hoeneß giving interviews and you you very much sense that it's a terrible situation but this was the opposite of what we saw on Sunday and yes I think someone like Ivan Perisic he is very valuable to this club because he is as we say in Germany a mentality beast he's someone that always gives 100% and is frustrated to sit on the bench but will you know mince that and and put, put that very much in in his effort in training rather than giving weird interviews to foreign press or anything like that. He's not a complainer. And he really is using Kumar's and uh, Gnabry's absence to his advantage, although we did see Gnabry later on in this match. I also thought um, Goretzka combined very nicely with Thiago. Um, that's a pairing that we haven't seen very often in midfield, but I thought it worked out very well. Goretzka, although he wasn't very present is the wrong word, but he wasn't very visible all the time. He was actually involved in three of the goals and um, he really showed his attacking class. And Thiago is, you know, this is the Thiago that Bayern fans love. He had the vision, the passes that cut through, you know, one or two lines of defense of the opposition. And um, yeah, really happy to see him showing that because there were some more shaky performances in the first half of the season by him as well. Some sloppiness that wasn't very characteristic of him. Yep. Bayern were really good in the last half hour. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's talk for a moment about Hertha. They had a really eventful winter break. They of course uh, went on a trip to Florida where, you know, usually Hertha take trips anywhere and, and not much attention is paid to them. But of course, when Jurgen Klinsmann is involved, they had a big press pack following them around. And there were, <laughs> you know, articles in, in Die Zeit about the visit they took to the Lars Windhorst yacht and lots of stuff happened. Lots of rumors surrounding this team, uh, all in sundry linked to this club. Julian Draxler, Mario Götze, these are probably moves for the future. But, you know, Granit Xhaka in, in the uh, the near future, that of course, didn't come off. The only thing that did come off for them was to buy uh, Asuka Sibar, who we mentioned earlier. Which is to say, after all of this sound and fury, <laughs> does it signify anything? Is this good enough for a big city club? Was Is this sort of still a team who's going to be in trouble for the rest of the season. Well, it's a shame, right? You said it yourself. You you hear about Granit Xhaka coming. 
And he has so much personality and he's fought the Arsenal fans while wearing the captain's armband. And he's got those long range goals and he's a fighter and he's just Swiss. And I don't know, it would just been very fun to see him in Berlin. And then they get Askasibar, right? It's like wanting to buy Julian Jaxler and then signing Mimedi or something from, you know, no disrespect, no disrespect, but you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel you. I feel and you. I feel like with someone like Klinsmann and the money of the investor and Berlin as a location, which is attractive for players to move to and their girlfriends who usually get a say in these affairs, they should have done a little bit better in the transfer window. So I was a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie, but they did play a strong first 60 minutes. Not everyone can keep, keep a clean sheet against Bayern for 60 minutes. And yeah, it's it's weird because I just don't see where they're going this season. I think they're dreaming about what's going to happen in three years when they're playing in, in the Champions League against Man City with basically the whole Germany squad of 2014 and their ranks. <laughs> but at this moment, they're like fighting relegation. And I'm just like, hello, do you know that you're fighting relegation? This, Yeah, so I, I'm really none the wiser with Hertha, but I like that they've become kind of like the the dark sheep, you know, the, the black sheep of the Bundesliga that everyone can talk about. They're very much not the gray mouse anymore. <laughs> no, no. And, and to be fair, they do have about a week and a half to, to make that big splashy move for, you know, someone, someone who they can, can, can overpay for and, and hopefully get some, some big results <laughs> from nonetheless. Uh, Okay, let, let's let's leave that to the side. We want to talk about the uh, the teams who are big successes here at the top of the podcast. Among them would be Dortmund. This, of course, uh, their game against Augsburg, a 5-3 win for Dortmund. This was another game that really turned on a dime at the hour mark and, and certainly the wildest game of uh, the match day by a mile. Dortmund were really, really caught napping in the first half and even in the you know early stage of the second half, uh, gave up another goal just uh, after the restart to make it 2-0. That goal that Julian Brandt got in the 49th minute, very, very nice goal with a, a quick turn at the edge of the box, had been answered in the 55th minute by Florian Niederlechner, his, his second of the game. Dortmund 3-1 down, away from home. About an hour played, and, and, and then Erling Haaland stepped in <laughs> and basically was like the charge that they set on the side of the mountain to let the avalanche come down. It was just like, you know, we t we've given him enough wet kisses, I guess. <laughs> we don't need to talk about him a whole lot more. But Dortmund fans are going to have a lot of fun with this guy. Maybe a quick mention for Gio Reyna, who, who was subbed on a little bit later in the second half. This is, of course, what is he, the fourth or fifth youngest player ever to debut in the Bundesliga. Came on for Torgan Azar on 72 minutes. He very much looked up to speed after just getting uh, a winter break playing with the first team. This is the first, you know, bit of, of first team integration he had had on a consistent basis since joining Dortmund uh, last summer. He got a, a yellow card in the game and he also got what some folks would call a, a hockey assist on the uh, the go-ahead, the 4-3 the goal. I, I thought this is a really promising start for this guy. I thought so too. He even had a few scenes where you could see his very, very nice ball control in tight spaces, which is exciting to see. And honestly, I think for a young new player on the block, especially, you know, at that age, sometimes they have physical disadvantages over fully sized men. I think it's a good sign that he got a yellow card. I mean, you, you got to announce yourself to the Bundesliga and he certainly did that. And 
I mean, what a thing for the U.S., right? He's a he's younger at his Dortmund debut than Christian Pulisic was, and we knew we all know where Dortmund took him or where he took Dortmund, however you want to say it. So yeah, go Reina. Yeah, full on. I mean, speaking of, of his physical qualities, I mean, you know, if you're going to be brought on to to replace Torgan Azar. You don't have to bring that much to the table in order to bring <laughs> as much uh, physicality. But yes, he, he definitely uh, held up his end of the bargain. Obviously, there's tons of, of, of laurels and hosannas being thrown around about uh, Erling Haaland and this uh, this big comeback win. However, the defensive troubles which have, have plagued Dortmund this season certainly don't seem to have gone away. The fact that they were 3-1 down with almost an hour gone in this game means that there's lots of homework still to be done for Dortmund. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, any, any schadenfreude, or if you just want to move on to talking about Schalke. No, no schadenfreude. I just, I thought this... For- for a few months now that Dortmund really, one of their biggest vacancies in their squad is another central defender of international statute. And I really, really thought for a long time that Manuel Akanji could become that. Uh, but he's just, he just keeps making mistakes. He's, he just has a terrible season. And I, you know, we've seen from the past that like someone like Arid, he had a terrible season last year. Now he's great. Maybe that will happen to Akanji. He's a young player. But he's just such a liability at the moment. And how do you concede three goals against Augsburg? You know, I just really don't understand it. And if I, I just think Akanji and Piszczek and some of these guys back there, as well as Lucian Favre after the game, were probably the first ones in line to hug Erling Haaland. Yeah, so I, I was concerned about that. And I am just still not very much a fan of the mentality of the squad, I think there are some issues that are going to accompany us in the coming months. You know, what's Jaden Sancho going to do? He made that huge Instagram poser video about his holiday. Oh, my. Then Oof. you've got Hakimi, who's kind of stuck between two great clubs, can't decide where to go. Also a very young guy. You know, he won Best African Young Player of the Year. He's he's a fantastic talent. Bayern Munich is also chasing him. He's probably got a lot of stuff on his mind. Berkey, who occasionally makes <laughs> quite spectacular slip-ups. So I just, I don't know. It, I just still feel that Dortmund has something missing and maybe Erling Haaland will be able to hide some of that. But I'm still not completely convinced by how this club has performed this season. Yep, I agree. I think if they're going to make a, a move to really participate in this title race, it's going to be interesting to see whether they can stake that claim in the next few weeks because... There's a lot of question marks. Let's move on to your team. Let's uh, talk about the case that they are pressing uh, to be a part of this title race, or at least, you know, at least to stay in touch with the top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, as there really appears to me to be about, I don't know, five or six teams in the division who have a legit chance of making the Champions League next season. The Royal Blues, they sort of weathered an early storm in this game against Borussia Mönchengladbach. This was the uh, the sort of kickoff game for the Rückrunde, the game that uh, Schalke did take 2-0 at home. They really took over the game in the second half. Swat Serdar scored a, a, a absolutely silky goal from the edge of the area, setting it up with, you know, practically a slide rule, the way that he, you know, looked this this shot over and curled it in past the keeper. Grigorich added to the margin. He scored, of course, on his debut, as we talked about earlier, teed up by uh, his his new best pal, Benito Rahman. 
Is this basically going to sort of put an end to the narrative that had surrounded Schalke about the fact that they had lacked uh, a cutting edge? I mean, truthfully, the number of goals that they scored was is a little low for a team in their area of the table, but not really that low. I mean, this, this, this narrative is going to be probably put to bed soon as, as long as, as Gregorich keeps scoring. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because there was a statistic that came out over the winter break where this Schalke team in figures was being compared to Domenico Tedesco's side of the 2017-2018 season. And they pretty much have exactly the same goal differential and point outcome at half halfway point of the season compared to two years ago, which is astonishing given the narrative that we've heard about how this team is, you know, playing attractive, forward-thinking football. And with Tedesco, it was always said that Schalke somehow luckily won 1-0. So it was really interesting to hear that, you know, the statistic is telling another story. But I think what really differentiates Schalke this season is in part the central defense. And I'm going to include Mascarell on this because he's just been incredible. And his tactical understanding is second to none. And He's taken on the captain's armband from Nubel, as we know. But just think for a second about when Salif Sani and Benji Stambouli are back to fitness. You've got Ozan Kabak, Matija Nastasic, the Barcelona signing Jean-Claire Turibo, and those two guys. I mean, I mean this very seriously. Show me a better central defense squad depth in the Bundesliga. I really, I can't think of any. So I, I don't know how that happened so quickly. Seemingly, many of these players are the same players that Schalke had last season. And suddenly, everything just looks a lot prettier. <laughs> yes, I think, I do. I did think in this match, you, you noticed the absence of, I mean, Arid quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I felt like Suatziada played a bit higher up the field to compensate for that. And there were times where Gregoric dropped back to get the balls from midfield, which he's very good at. And um, that worked out very well. But Alessandro Schöpf is no Arit. And I really do hope that Arit makes it back in time for the match against Bayern, because otherwise I think Schalke will get their typical <laughs> Allianz Arena experience. Uh, so Sky Germany, the TV, yeah, the TV program that shows the Bundesliga live in, in Germany, that has the Bundesliga rights, they currently have a, a commercial which has some of the players making comments like Nabri and Burgsteller. And it just plays on the fact that Schalke apparently, apparently hasn't won in Munich for 10 years. So it means that, you know, they've never beaten Manuel Neuer, for example, which is just very sad. So, be, I mean, I'm going to stop whining right there, but that's that's all I wanted to say about where Schalke is going. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think um, there's some pretty pretty rough reading uh, to be done if you look at their results in Munich. They haven't been exactly, you know, <laughs> stomped, but, you know, not in a few years. But there was a period there uh, a few years ago where they just seemed to lose by at least three goals just about every time they went went down to Munich. So I wish you the best. I hope uh, I hope they can pull something off. It would certainly make the, uh, the title race a little bit more interesting. Before we stop talking about Schalke and before we finish this, you know, part one of the podcast, Marcus Schubert had had a couple of big boy saves to keep uh, Gladbach out in this game. And of course, Alexander Nübel was suspended for this game. And, you know, he made his headlines over the winter break announcing uh, that 
you know, not only is he going to Bayern, but uh, as as sort of details began to trickle out, as they tend to do with anything uh, involving Bayern Munich, there's, you know, big controversy brewing over the nature of that move, what it means for Manuel Neuer. It's big talking point across German football. But let's just sort of cut to the chase and say, you know, Nubel, when he's back from suspension, who's in goal and, and who's on the bench for this team? Yes, I. to be frank, I wish I knew that too. I do think it's very worth mentioning on the podcast, Bild actually reported on this, that Schalke had a second game scheduled on the Saturday, so the day after their match against Gladbach, and it was a test game against Preußen Münster, third division German side from the area. And in that game, Burgstaller, I believe, played, uh, Juan Miranda played, the new winter signing Jean-Claire Toribo played in central defence, and Alexander Nubel stood be- uh, between the goalposts. So that to me is a sign that they do want to have him back, that they want to give him practice to get ready. However, I do think that Marcus Schubert had a really good game and he looked very confident. He looked very calm. I also really liked what I saw in regards to his relationship with, with the defensive um, back four because after the game, you know, there was a lot of hugging during the game and corner kicks and high fives here and there and well done, mate. Um, and I remember last year in the DFB Pokal match against Werder Bremen, so this is a bit of a time journey that we're taking, um, which I believe was was the basically the round of 16 match of the DFB Pokal. Um, Bremen won 2-0 um, at Schalke. And I was standing behind Nubel for the second half and there were moments where Chipka shouted at him, Kalijuri shouted at him. And yes, this was a very tense time for the whole club. And we do know that this was a cliquey episode. But I'm not sure that Nubel is as well liked and respected in the squad as his having been captain suggests. And I think, although this sounds a little speculative and gossipy, but I everyone, you know, any listener who's played in a team realizes that this is important. It's important that your um, colleagues on the pitch respect you and like you. <laughs> um, so I'm interested to to know. And, and Schubert, he hasn't made any mistakes. So why should he be taken out? I think that's really what it will come down to. Yep. I think that's a great way to go about it. I think until until Schubert uh, makes someone change their mind about whether he should be the starter from here on out, I, I think that's a great move. I think that, um, I know, <laughs> I've shared my opinion <laughs> fairly vociferously on a couple of occasions uh, uh, that I think that this is a very stupid move for uh, Nubel to be making at this juncture of his career, as well as a, as a disappointingly, I don't know, uh, premature thing for, for Bayern to undertake. But, you know... I don't work for Nubel or for Bayern, so <laughs> no one has to listen to me. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's take a break and come back and talk about the rest of Match Day 18. See you in a moment. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball. I'm your host, Matt Herman. With me is Marie schulte Bockham. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about the rest of match day 18 we're going to start off with a couple of teams who are sort of on the fringes of the uh you know european champions league whatever con- conversation in the bundesliga one of those being uh baia nulfia leverkusen the team who i went to visit back in december when they were in the midst of a really 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 bad run 
but who I still have a lot of faith in in their having a say in, in what's going to be happening in Europe. And that's because they just have too many good players. Anyway, the momentum has a way of shifting over the winter break, of course. Uh, Leverkusen, as I mentioned, were desperate closing out the Hinrunde, while Paderborn were having you know, a good sort of mini run. They picked up seven points heading into the winter break in their last four games. But uh, that is all over now. Leverkusen pretty much played them off the park in Paderborn. It was a 4-1 win for Leverkusen. They were up 3-0 at the half. They could have scored more. Um, Any thoughts on what the future holds for these two teams? Am, Am I crazy in thinking that after all the fluctuations of, you know, the final week of, uh, of, of Hinrunde football, that we're still back at square one, which is to say that, that Paderborn are going down and, and Leverkusen are probably going to qualify for Europe. No, I think that's completely right. I just want to give a special shout out to our golden boy, Kai Havertz. Yeah. Who, and by golden boy, I do not mean the award. I realized he did not win, which was very saddening to me that Joao Felix managed to win. But he's had a, Kai Havertz has had a difficult start to the season, which is completely understandable at the age of 20. And I think he's had something like a thousand minutes without an assist or a goal, which is like incomprehensible for some, someone of his quality and such a good team and he finally bossed the match again and had a really strong showing i think he got an assist as well as a goal yep. combined really well with musa diaby who's getting better and better and is very much i think leverkusen's most promising man in offense uh, in, in attack after how it's expected departure in the summer so, um, yeah, really interesting match from Leverkusen. I also thought Demirbay, I, I could see him growing m- more and more into this new team. I think he had a bit of a shaky start after his switch from Hoffenheim, but he's finding his feet and becoming that really good number eight that they need in the middle of the pitch to play a Bosch ball, as we know. <laughs> yeah, and as for Paderborn, it's tough. You know, if we look at their lineup, it's really tough to see them surviving. I think they should get style points for how they play. And even in this match, they did have some really good uh, moves going forward. But I think this is a club that will end up in the second Bundesliga. Yep, I I reckon so too. But I I agree that I feel like if there's a way that they can sneak into even just the relegation playoff spot and (laughs) and, and have the chance to fight for their survival, I will be very, very pleased because they play the kind of football that that I think (laughs) I wish more promoted sides would play, which is to say (laughs) totally reckless and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, with, with no regard for their, uh, you know, (laughs) physical or tactical safety. I I'm I'm really into it. Which pretty much describes the coach as well, right? With in his track suits and (laughs) chewing 20 chewing gums, uh, you know, a match totally reckless and loves attacking. And yeah, yeah, just a bit yeah, of a character. I'm, I'm feeling them. Let's talk a little bit about Freiburg, uh, who got a 2-1 win uh, to kick things off here in the Rückrunde. They, they too, are sort of on the fringes of the European conversations, two points off of sixth place at the moment. They beat uh, Mainz 05 in Mainz 2-1. Freiburg pretty much just did what they do best in this game, which is to say scoring 
on the run, uh, beating a bottom half side through through clinical finishing. Chang Hoon Kwan uh, had a really really good game in in this one. He got the first goal and was. You know, speaking of um, recklessly attacking and and with little regard for his, uh, you know, physical safety, he was all over the place in this game. Nils Peterson added another one to become uh, Freiburg's all-time top scorer. I guess the only silver lining for Mites in this one was that uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta, who uh, has only been back healthy for for four games, got his second goal in in four games healthy uh, since returning through that injury. So maybe maybe uh, all is not yet lost for Mites. What do you what do you reckon about these guys? I think you covered it all very well. I think Kwan is a very exciting player. Really was very very impressed with his goal. I think the touch that he got on the ball is not a touch that many players in the Bundesliga could copy. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and just say that that was skill rather than luck. I would like to add one thing, and that is about Robin Koch, Mm -hmm. who I have to admit, and we are all wrong and allowed to be wrong sometimes, (laughs) but I have to admit that when Löw nominated him, I thought, oh, here we go again with the Freiburg benefit. Player from the Southwest. Getting yeah. a, a much closer look <laughs> than he might deserve. Good old Breisgau, just because Liv likes to chill out in the stadium. But how you know he he's been so good, and he's still very young. And the way he plays, his calmness, his presence, and especially his anticipation, to me is very reminiscent of Matthias Ginter at Freiburg um, a few years ago. So I really, I really like his development, and I think he has a very good shot of making the Euro squad in the summer. All right, then he can uh, get a move to a, a much bigger club, and, and Freiburg can be back to the drawing board, which is pretty much the state of affairs for that club. Um, <laughs> somehow they make it work. Werder Bremen, another club who got off the mark very nicely. They had been absolutely down in the dumps heading into the uh, the, the winter break, down very much um, uh, hanging around the wrong side of the track. Uh, for for a lot of the season, and, and by tracks I mean, you know, the, the little line that they draw under fifteenth place on the table, <laughs> in, on the internet, in the newspaper, wherever, to to denote which teams are in real trouble. Of course, Dusseldorf had been down there quite a lot as well. Uh, Werder beat them one nil in Dusseldorf. Nicholas Moisander scored the only goal of this game and then uh, got himself sent off for dissent at the end, a second yellow card after a, a pretty bad uh, clash between uh, Werder's keeper and and a number of, of Dusseldorf players quite at the, at the end of the game. Not a really great way to turn the corner, a nice way to sort of add a little bit of a I don't know, an, an ugly dark lining to what would have been a, a bright, shiny result. I don't know. I, 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 I'm I still concerned about Werder. Yes, and honestly, now that we mentioned Werder, we completely forgot to give a shout-out to our man Kevin Vogt as one of the key winter signings. You know, here is Werder signing a new boss of defense, a player that this time last year Bayern Munich was interested in signing. And yeah, I think Werder is really struggling and having someone of a lot of experience in the Bundesliga who's a bit, you know, pick up and play dirty, that type of of mentality with Fulk could be really beneficial. And he did have a a bit of a scary situation where he almost caused a goal against Werder, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where he basically misanticipated a ball um, that was played back to him. However, I, I think he will 
he needs a bit more playing time to get back into the rhythm, then he'll be a real asset to this team. Uh, another team that sort of turned their fortunes around coming out of the winter break, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. They had uh, you know, gone into the winter break on a, on a seven-game winless streak. They got a win over uh, TSG Hoffenheim in Zinsheim. Sorry, we'll probably try and talk about Frankfurt more uh, in weeks to come. But uh, we'll see what happens to them. Uh, Bas Dost got a nifty running back heel to open the scoring, uh, a, a looping header from uh, Timothy Chandler. That was enough to cancel out Konstantin Staphylidis's long-range goal. Any consideration about this club and, and whether, I don't know, they're sort of real, real doldrums they found themselves in for about a month and a half heading into the winter break. Um, if those clouds are going to lift, is this a team that's sort of had no business being that bad for as long as they did? Yes and no, because I think when we do look at the squad, they, they have lost a lot of quality. I mean, they yes, they had Andre Silva and Paciencia on the bench, who are both, you know, certainly have some skills. But uh, Daichi Kamara was missing, who I really appreciate. He's a very fine player. Danny Da Costa is in terrible form, which is really a shame because he was always one of the Bundesliga players I most enjoyed watching, especially last season. Um, just, you know, that beautiful wing setup of him and Kostic. And now there's something a little bit depressing about Eintracht Frankfurt because you just, you recognize the the ghost of the season past, but mainly, you know, when Hinteregger strolls forward, <laughs> um, you see some of that spirit. And the rest of the time, yeah, I just, I think they still have some work to do in transitioning away from their famous um, Buffalo herd of um, all those men departed in Alea, Jovic, and Rebic, who clearly had a very good weekend. Yep, yep. Finally, we have uh, a team that did not uh, change their fortunes heading out of the winter break. They just went from strength to strength. Uh, Cologne. They, they, that mad dash that they made into the winter break where they where they picked up nine points in the final week was apparently not a fluke in any way, folks. It is now 12 points from their last four games to take uh, the Billy Goats up to 13th. They are now level with Union Berlin. They beat Wolfsburg in, in Cologne 3-1. It was uh, John Cordoba with a brace. Mark Ut assisted on the first goal in, in his return to FC. Timo Horn kept the minute late. Jonas Hector, of course, got a goal as well. Are you surprised by this or, or were you more surprised by their early season crappiness? Is this basically just the cologne we thought we were going to get heading into this season finally showing up? Yes, I think so, because I do think there are clubs that in terms of their squad breadth and, and depth are of far lesser quality than Cologne. I think Cologne is has got a very decent Bundesliga squad. And I think Mark Ut is a very interesting addition because he's an unpredictable player. He's good at set pieces. He's good in the middle of the field. He's good on the wings. He's good as a, a striker. And um, I think he draws some attention away from target man Cordoba, which clearly worked in Cordoba's favor. Although, to be fair to Cordoba, he has been very good in all of the past matches. Um, but also, I think... Gistol's um, courage to bring on some of those young guys is paying off because Noah Katabach has settled himself nicely into the starting lineup. And that is something which fans always enjoy when you've got homegrown boys. Also, Thielmann, worthy of mention, um, started again. Yep. 
I agree. So, um, yeah, I think the, the Billy Goats are on the up. So that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back on the podcast, Marie. It, it, it really, in, in podcast terms, it was only a couple of episodes ago, but man, it, it was a while on the calendar. Yes, I felt so too. And I was very happy to be back. And I just remembered that, because I said this at the beginning of the podcast, that I went skiing in the Alps. Uh-huh. When I did so, I did meet two footballers, one of them, the infamous Liverpool outcast, Loris Carriers, and the other, Michael Ballack. And next time I see them, Matt, I'll be sure to ask them if they want to come onto the podcast. My goodness. Well, please do. Please do. We, we got to get the, the inside scoop on, on what, uh, what's happening with Loris Karius these days. Did you, did you share a chairlift with these guys? I mean, what was the context? <laughs> that would be quite funny. No, so basically I went um, and had lunch with my family and one of those chalets that we have in the Alps uh, quite high up. And there's this kind of conservatory outdoors greenhouse space that you walk through to get to the main restaurant and that's kind of like the dj hangout scene it's a bit cool and modern and there are like lounge chairs and of course that's where both of these guys hung out at the same time about 20 meters from each other i'm sure there was a casual wave from one footballer to the next but i didn't catch that and loris carriers definitely had a big rosé bottle of sorts um at his table i'm not sure if he had a sip, but he was surrounded by young women. <laughs> and that's why I can say that. And I think Michael Balak was with his children. Okay. Okay. That, that sounds like uh, they're playing exactly to type, which uh, also kind of warms my heart. Uh, you can, of course, follow Marie on Twitter. <laughs> She's got lots of stories of this type, of course, <laughs> at Marie Shubo there. Uh, you can read her work from time to time on Focus Online. That is if you read German. Uh, if you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman uh, over there on the Twitters. Please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods. And if you would be so kind as to leave us a rating or some comments, that's always a really big help talking baseball fantasy with jt and Flo. they will be back later this week to get you ready for match day 19 anyway this is next to next y'all